I am Jimbo Paris, and you are listening to the Jimbo Paris Show. So, Mr. Harmon, can you please begin by providing me a quick and brief summary about who you are, what you're about, and what your message is? You want that quick and brief. All right. Uh, Well, I don't know you know, that I have any direct message that I'm trying to portray to the world other than, you know, I like to help people. And I got into this world of astrology and spirituality back in the 70s. And I uh, was very skeptical of astrology. I, I, I always liked science and and physics and electronics and all the hard stuff. And the more I got into this, my mother actually got me into this. And the more I got into it, the more I went, wow, you know, it's, it's really has some accuracy and efficacy. And um, what keeps me hanging in with it is that it helps people. So that's, that's kind of what I'm about. And uh, it's been a real journey. It's a never ending journey. I mean, anyone who says, oh, I've learned astrology or learned all this spirituality is, I think, making a big mistake. We'll never figure it all out. But I think it's, it's a fun journey. How do you think astrology in general can help people in their day to day lives? Well, I think it gives us cycles and it gives us energy points that are highly accurate. You know, and this is, I've actually worked with a lot of people in science with this, physicists and, and people who were, again, like me, very highly, you know, skeptical. And, you know, it's just energy. It, it really is. And I, and I think one of the biggest things that you have to begin to accept when you study more of the ancient disciplines, particularly classical astrology, which... I find came in vogue, uh, or I should say went out of vogue about the late 1600s. And and that goes all the way back to antiquity, as far back as we want to look. Um, some of the Greek, Egyptian, Chaldean, Middle Eastern documents clearly support that, that it's thousands of years old. The Vedic astrology goes much, much, I think, farther back. And most of the Eastern cultures do, like Chinese astrology, Vedic astrology is amazing. And I think one of the first things you have to accept is that we're spiritual beings having a physical experience. What we're not, what modern astrology has made us out to be is our sun signs. The the first thing out of most readers' mouths in a reading is what your sun sign is. And there's certainly some efficacy to that. But when you get into Nadi astrology and Vedic astrology and the older Greek and Egyptian paths, it's clearly evident that we're not our astrology, we're experiencing it. And the karma that we came in with, both good and ill, is why we have what we have. It's pretty safe to say most people don't call astrologers, psychologists, and psychiatric help people to tell everyone how great their life is. <laughs> you know, usually when life is great, everyone's out running around and enjoying life, which is what they should be doing. And I think astrology gives a guiding light as to the hard cycles. I even find the medical astrology and that my mother was actually in medicine. She was a, a specialist in hemodialysis. And that was, I think, one of the really intriguing things that got me was Ayurvedic astrology and medical analysis using astrology. Even though I have great respect for allopathic medicine and what it does, but I, I also think the medical astrology adds something to the equation that you can't get with scientific reductionary methods. Um, 
I actually have a book. You probably can't see it, but back here on the shelf, it's literally a book. It's from the 40s. And and this is very, very, you know, late. You know, I'll show you if I can get it in front of there. This is put out by uh, a number of doctors who um, clearly had found cycles in astrology were fantastic in terms of why something was imbalanced, even though the science and the allopathic showed very accurately what was happening, that might have showed why it was happening. And, you know, it's it's very interesting stuff. I I have found it amazing. When my son was very young, my wife would be very worried. Oh, my God, he's got 104 fever. And I would literally cast a chart and say, well, it'll be gone by this time, by timing the moon. And sure enough, it was. He's running around, jumping around. You know, <laughs> it's amazing. It's stunning, actually, how, how accurate it is. Now, you were definitely an expert in your field, but to the other people watching your content, what is the best way for them to see it? Like, what is the simple definition of what philosophy is or, or what the philosophy of astrology is? Forgive me. Well, yeah, that's a that's a big topic. I think the the. One of the things I do today, and and I I have to say technology and the internet, programs like Zoom and like we're on right now, I think has revolutionized the way astrology is being done. And the fact that I'm talking to people all over the world who are looking at location astrology, uh, location astrology is your birth chart extrapolated across the globe. And it's stunning. So you can see, you can zoom out and literally look anywhere in the world. And uh, it's fascinating stuff because every person will have their own personal ley lines. They're also going to have various planetary energies at certain locations. And I've actually worked with a lot of doctors on this and people who've had health issues. They would say, hey, you know, I'm doing all these different treatments. And is there anything astrology could add? And I would say the first thing, I had one doctor, he said, Jeff, I'm dying. He said, I've tried every, you know, scientific and allopathic thing I can do, homeopathic, naturopathic. Is there anything I could glean from astrology that would help? I said, Jim, his name was Dr. Jim. And I said, go live on a sun line. And he found a sun ascending line in his PSAs. He had prostate cancer, dropped out of the sky. And he continued to be in remission doing the things he was doing cu- coupled with the sunline. The minute he moved off that sunline due to financial reasons, he uh, he was dead within, I think, about eight months to a year. But during the almost two or three years, I think it was about three years, he was on that sunline. And I've I've heard this, I can't tell you how many times where people have said, oh my God, that's exactly what the energies are like where I'm living. So it's, it's fascinating. What it, and gemstones too, we have found... Literally, I had a doctor in ICU take his 86-year-old father, and we were placing gemstones on him. And he had data, triple triple back data that showed the edges of the heartbeats, the vital signs improved in certain areas when certain gemstones were put on him. This was fascinating stuff. And this is things that they've known for thousands of years. Very good. Now, how do you think people should view you? Because... You get a glimpse of an astrologist and you think, okay, is that a doctor or is that a scientist or is that a philosopher? These three things. (laughs) Are you all of these or are you one of them specifically? Well, you're trying to put 
labels on things. And yeah, and society does that. I mean, it's, it's, it's very convenient to, to pigeonhole someone into a, a slot. And, and there's always a danger with that because, you know, I, I have a lot of friends who are doctors I have great respect for, and I have some that I don't. And I think that goes with, I think individuality is something that uh, is really important that whoever, you know, someone's dealing with should try and find somebody who's being honest and being, you know, as, as thorough as they can in what they do. I, I can, I'm not a doctor. I don't give people medical advice, nor can I. And I always encourage people, Hey, keep seeing your doctor because, you know, the allopathic testing is amazing and the science is amazing. In fact, it's gotten better today than ever before. The problem that I think has always been the Achilles heel with medicine is the treatments, is looking at how do they treat. The pharmaceutical industry clearly runs the medical industry. There's a lot of great doctors who know that, and they're very much into naturopathic methods, herbs and foods and dietary balancing. It's kind of sad that the mainstream medical industry isn't. And I don't want to get into the medical industry because I don't want to get a lawsuit because that's what will (laughs) happen. But uh, I I would say I like to view what I do in Vedic astrology as a guide to people seeing when their cycles change. And I I think uh, I have a great enjoyment with a lot of psychologists and psychiatrists that I work with and their clients. And we just have an amazing time and discussion about the correlation between our daily drama and our daily life. And how does this information give us direction and guidance and insight? And I think that's kind of my job is to try and translate this information into a practical, usable method. Because, you know, when you start talking about planets and signs and, you know, astrology is very complex when you look at the geometry and the modalities that are used. You could talk to 10 different astrologers, you're likely to get 10 variations, interpretation, which all might be similar, but it's really going to come down to how much research they've done and how much experience they've had and also their innate personal ability to translate it. You know, it's, it's a language. Exactly. And what do you think are the things, how does the process of diagnosing and treating your patients work exactly? So if, if I were to come to you as a patient, would you become more of as a primary care doctor? And kind of just looking at everything and seeing what needs to be done? Well, first, I'd be very careful. I, I would never call a reading person a patient. I, I would never. I, they're not patients. I'm not a doctor. And I can't give medical advice. And I would say that what I tell people is take this information. And then from there, you could view it however you wanted. And discuss it with your doctor, you know, because that's one dangerous area you cannot play with. You cannot that if you in astrology try and diagnose diseases and prescribe treatments and healing and all that is very dangerous. That That's the area of doctors, not astrologers. I think what's, what's great, though, about astrology and many people have become frustrated with some of the analysis and results that they've gotten or more importantly, maybe the treatments. And again, I can't prescribe any treatment or anything like that, but I can certainly make suggestions as to areas they can look at. You know, like for instance, here's a good example. Take take me. About two and a half years ago, 
I really had some severe issues, really, really got toxic. And I noticed in Vedic astrology, I had some really accurate conditions depicting that. Now, out of prudence, I went to a doctor and I said, what do you think? And he said, well, you've got this, this, and this. And he said, we could treat it with this pharmaceutical. And I actually found that that pharmaceutical helped. So I'm, I'm not anti-doctors or anti-pharmaceuticals. And, and, but I also knew that that would arrest it in the really acute condition. And then I knew as soon as the astrology ended, it ended. I mean, I just cleared up like magic. So therein is probably the value is, you know, if people are, are having an issue, and, and I don't want to just focus on medical issues, but but if, if someone's having an issue, or even I found like work conditions or conditions financially, which, what's fascinating about uh, there's there's a, an astrology called Prashna in India. In the West, they call it horary, or they might call it interrogation. That's the one I like the most. And it's divinational. It, you don't need your birth chart. Literally, someone can ask, is it in my best interest to pursue a particular course of action? Now, in the end, you still have to be responsible for your own actions. Whether you do it or not is up to you. And I'm not here to tell anybody what to do, nor, nor will I ever. But I always will tell them what the chart says. And, we, you know, it's, it's amazing how accurate it is. Like, I've, I've had people say, you know, my dog is missing. Will it come back? You know, will we find it? And uh, the chart is amazingly accurate in telling whether they will or not. And they'll call me back and say, I can't believe it. We found them right about when the chart said. And um, I've had missing money and thefts and, and missing people. So it, it's really a fascinating astrology and and the same thing with business partners and so on and so forth Le lawsuits i do a lot of lawsuits where everybody's suing everybody right now and um seems to be the thing to do um but it's amazingly accurate because you can see the judge is the 10th house the 7th house is your opponent and whoever that opponent is and you you get a, a Again, that's not going to win the case for you. It's not going to give you legal advice. But what it will do is give you an idea of whether or not, you know, you're going to end up like General Custer surrounded by the enemy and destroyed <laughs> or you've got a, a chance and, you know, fight. So, you know, which which can alter the way you approach something. So there's a lot of value to it's another way of looking at at energy points. Very good. When it comes to energy points, is it similar to chi points in Chinese medicine? Well, that's a good point. A question. You know that that whole science of why and how astrology works has been a, I think, a topic of contention for a lot of people in hard sciences, particularly physics, quantum physics, the Vedic astrology, and and here here's here's something fascinating. I'll show you when you look at. The premise of Vedic astrology, um, a lot of people call it Vedic astrology, and that's kind of a pop term. In fact, a friend of mine who just passed away, many people may have heard of him. He was known as Chakrapani. He was a uh, an Indian astrologer, and he lived in Santa Monica, and every now and then we'd go out to dinner, and he was a very nice guy. And he coined that phrase back in the 60s. The real name of Vedic astrology is actually called Jyotisha or Jyotish, and that – 
is a Sanskrit word that actually means the science of the light of the soul. And there's many branches. Many of the modern Nadi astrologers will practice Maharishi Parshara's method or Maharishi Jaimini's method. And these are methods that were kind of solidified a long time ago. But the older one, in my opinion, is Nadi, N-A-A-D-I. Some people spell that with one N. And what I love about Nadi astrology is it it takes the planets and looks in a much different way. And what I love is if you look at some of the ancient texts in India, particularly the Upanishads, one called the Tatrayaka Upanishad actually speaks about the five layers of the aura. And they call planets graha. Graha is a strange word in Sanskrit, which actually also means Caesar or grasper of the aura. Now, when you think about that, that's a really interesting topic because physicists are all running around, well, but Saturn has less gravity than the delivery doctor in the delivery room, right? And, you know, you always hear these kind of snide, smart, smart aleck comics. And I couldn't agree more. Saturn does probably have less gravity pull on you than the doctor in the delivery room, except we're not talking about gravity here. And the Upanishads speaks much to that. There are energies spectrally that we cannot fully measure. Um, There's a lot going on. And I really think, I always say, forget Trinity, Neo, and Morpheus, that literally this might be the real matrix of the soul. One of my favorite diagrams to show is probably this one. You can see here this big, thick, dashed line is the demarcation between what maybe modern psychology would call your conscious mind below here and up above, this could be likened to the model of maybe the subconscious mind. But a better metaphor might be, this is the present personality. It's what we think and what we believe right now. And like the very famous and dear friend of mine who just passed away, George Carlin, the comedian, used to say, they beat you over the head all the day telling you what to believe. Well, that's why, because... Our conscious minds are very malleable, but yet we have influences that are inexplainable in psychology and psychiatry as to why certain people have personality traits or influences that are not rationally explainable. Like, for instance, environment that a person grew up and exposures to various different you know, mindsets, etc., don't seem to explain why certain people end up the way they do, nor does genetics. Well, now enters the possibility of karma. And see, in the Vedic astrology, the principle is we carry this life force energy from death to rebirth on and on and on through the incarnations. Um, many people are familiar with Christianity and Rome kind of threw the whole doctrines of reincarnation out the window somewhere between the first and third century. And that was probably due to the bearded men who were murdering each other to to figure out what Christians might believe for the next 1500 years. So a lot of things got altered, I think, from ancient Christianity. Other religions, the older ones, particularly Judaism, Buddhism, you take Hinduism, and, and many, many others, reincarnation was absolutely a a complete integral part of their religion and still are. And 
there is overwhelming evidence in the psychiatric fields that people don't die. Some of my favorite materials are what medical doctors and psychiatrists, uh, psychiatrists have done, like Dr. Carl Wicklund, Dr. Edith Fiore, Dr. Fry, and many, many others, Baldwin, published just exhaustive volumes on, you know, evidence that people are still there, their consciousness at least, after they, they die. And of course, this is exactly what this plate, this is a plate or a picture out of the Bhagavad Gita, if you will, that shows that white life force energy. Well, back to this diagram and Vedic astrology, you literally are creating maybe a fresh slate on this personality during this incarnation. And they say it begins in the womb. Well, What's interesting is something's influencing us, and that's where the cycles of astrology become absolutely fascinating. See, if you look at Saturn, it's glyph. It's the cross over the crescent of the moon. See, look at Jupiter. It's exactly the opposite. It's the crescent of the moon over the cross. See, everything, all the glyphs or icons of the planets come from combinations of the circle, which is the sun, the seat of creation, the moon, which is the crucible of creation, and the cross, which you can see down here, not only represents what it represents in Christianity religion, but it also represents sunrise, noon, sunset, midnight. It also represents the four archangelic elements, earth, air, fire, and water. So th this gets way down the rabbit hole when you start looking into the ancient symbolism. You'll see, look at Venus is the sun over the cross. Mercury is all three, the crescent over the sun over the cross. And the ancient symbol of Mars was the cross over the sun. So you're getting a much richer, deeper look into the symbolism, I believe, of creation. And we're all experiencing what we experience through our lives. And I think one of the, the powerful efficacies of Vedic and, and also the Western astrology shows when Saturn makes certain cycles, particularly transiting the moon known as Sarisate or Saturn returns or hard aspects to the sun, we're all going to go through trials and tribulations. So this is fascinating, fascinating stuff because the accuracy is amazing. And even some of the most skeptical that I've talked to have said, well, you're right. That was a challenging time. That was a good time. And the lunar zodiac is another very fascinating thing, which that actually, believe it or not, surrounds the earth. You can actually see this is the 27 lunar mansions that surround the earth known as the nakshatras. And this is pr primarily not used in Western astrology. Uh, most of them haven't heard of it. If they have, it, they use a 28 lunar mansion system, which is, again, more Chaldean and Egyptian, which I also find accurate. But th this is fascinating stuff because they say when the child exits the womb, well, if you look at the tree of life, which is probably a very fascinating diagram that depicts this, it, and I always love to show this, if you look at Dad puts the seed in mom's womb, right? And the seed nurtures, and where does the child end up? Between mother's feet in the delivery room. And uh, 
until they start making full test tube babies. I think that's kind of the way it's being done these days uh, and has been for thousands of years. So what's interesting about that is the sun is the seed of creation. The moon is the crucible and spirit manifest is the earth. And that's the way Vedic astrology looks at it. And that's why the Eastern horizon, which many astrologers refer to as the ascendant, which is what it is, is where spirit becomes manifest. That's why the East, even in feng shui and vastu and many practices of balancing energies, uh, I do a lot of vastu for people, which is fascinating stuff, on how to make your house more balanced or your business or your your office, etc. So that, that's really powerful stuff that all, again, balances to the energies of creation. It's fascinating stuff. Very good. Yeah. So what personally got you into astrology to begin with? What was sort of the instance or that person that came into your life that motivated you to begin all of this research? Oh, my mother, clearly. It was my mother. She, I was driving in the mid seventies and um, she, she had been pegging my girlfriends to the T and I said, what are you doing? I said, this isn't mother's intuition. I said, you've got to be doing something else. And she would say, well, I've got their chart. And I'd say, well, what do you mean you have their chart? And she said, I have their astrology chart. And I, she was also doing interrogations on them, which modern astrologers call horror I don't like that word, but whatever, we'll call it that because many people are familiar with it. And I said, come on. I said, this stuff doesn't work. And I said, uh, you know, because I've always heard the lore, you know, of that, that stuff against astrology. And she smiled and she said, before you debunk it, check it out. And I did. And it, it really captured me because it was scientific. It wasn't just, you know, many astrologers, and I'm no, I don't mean to, to say anything denigrating to anyone because there's a lot of great astrologers out there. But we tend to find this modern day stuff of, oh, you're a Pisces, you're an Aries, you're a this, and they'll go off and off and off and about. And what I loved about my mother is she was into some real astrology. She had studied with some very good people, which I had the opportunity to study with too, some of them. And it really set, I think, a foundation for me that made more sense because it was rooted in geometry between the planets, the aspects, the geometric aspects, and many astrologers have heard of, you know, conjunctions and sextiles and trines and oppositions. And these are all very, very interestingly geometrically laid out. And even the skeptics who say, yes, but the constellations don't equal where the stars really are. And they're right about that, though sidereal is closer. I don't think we're dealing with just a direct analysis, we're also dealing with a spiritual construct that is around this world. And again, even the most skeptic uh, has to admit they feel sunrise, they, they feel noon, they feel sunset, and they feel the seasons. So the celestial energies, and that's really what I think ancient astrology is, is astronomy. And prior to the, I would say, the modern era, which was the age of reason, which really came in with Darwinism. And we started seeing all of this fall apart with the age of reason and science. And the age of reason and science has brought us a lot too. But on the other hand, the ancient astrologers were called astronomers. Here, here's a fascinating two volume book. I'll just grab one volume. This, look, look what it's called, the book of astronomy. Okay. This book was written in the 11th century, actually the 12th century. It was written in the 1100s. 
This is, of course, a translation. And that was written by Guido Bonatti. He's one of the later astrologers that um, was citing the ancients in Egypt, in Greece, in Chaldea, um, in Mesopotamia, which we now know as Iraq, what's left of it. And the, the point is, is that the whole science, Galileo, many of these people, Newton, they were all astronomers who did astrology. And people dispute that, and there's overwhelming evidence. They, uh, Benjamin Franklin, the founder, you know, one of the founders of the, of the country, certainly was enamored with electional astrology. Uh, Washington, D.C. is an Egyptian temple, uh, literally. It's, it's been laid out by a French architect. Uh, it, it, it had much electional astrology used in the uh, laying of foundations, particularly the capital. And it's safe to say in the modern era, it certainly dominated the world. We certainly print the money at this point so far, anyhow. But um, it, it's, it's very fascinating how ancient astrology got lost. And there's been a, a huge effort to restore that in the probably the last 30, 40 years. And I'm glad to be involved in some, some part of that. You know, it's a lot of fun. And why do you think astrology as a community is not at the position where you personally want it to be? I'm just assuming. You can give me your answer on that. Well, I, I think it's not a hard science. You know, when you have physics, I know I used to teach a class, continuing education units at a college. When you have a, a structured, secular, you know, curriculum that's, you know, set I think astrology is rediscovering itself, and it has been for a long time. And I give credit to a lot of the translators who are bringing forth many of these documents out of Hebrew, Egyptian, Greek, Sanskrit, Hindi, Tamil. There's so many. I mean, it's so complex. How and, and what's fascinating to me is how diverse astrology is across the globe, and yet it was found in every culture. And there was no American Airlines, there was no Zoom, there was no telephones. And yet this science is ubiquitous across the globe. And they're all relatively the same. Vedic astrology and Nadi astrology to me is really, I think, something I find probably one of the most amazing. And uh, because it really is the science of the light of the soul. You can see when people exit the body. Now, we call it death in the West which it is, but they refer to it as the end of karma for this lifetime. And the principle behind the philosophy to that is that we come here to purify and rectify the soul. Now, people say, oh, that's very Buddhist and very Hindu. And then I, I say, well, wait a second, because I can show you Hebrew documents, and, and they are exceedingly detailed. One of my favorite is the Share Hagilgum. Uh, Share means gate, and Hagilgum means cycling of the soul. It means the gates of reincarnation. Now, this is a Hebrew document that is actually not very old. It's, it was penned somewhere in the 14th or 15th century. I believe it was the 15th century. And this is citing things that parallels the Western Bible to the T. Um, what it does is it gives clarification to, I think, a lot of ambiguities that are in the Bible. And it parallels so much Eastern document as documents as well. And I, th I think what's happened is we've had a lot of executive decisions made by religious leaders, particularly in the West, uh, who have eliminated a lot of documents that absolutely tie in these great truths, which are, again, 
revealed by Vedic astrology and some of the older principles. Instead of calling you your sun sign, they look at, no, you are a spiritual being having a physical experience. You came in at this celestial arrangement. Here, I'll, sh- I'll show you a fascinating diagram that I love to show people. Here, I'll put that back in. You've got, I think, uh, got to select the entire screen here. There you go. And then if you you kick me on, this is probably one of my favorite diagrams to show people. This diagram uh, right here is, no matter what your religious background is, most people, unless you're an atheist, uh, believe that there's some higher power. We'll call it God, for lack of a better uh, new <laughs> description in this modern world. I'll call him God. So, or an androgynous uh, force, if you will, that is very holy and divine. It's above all creation. And they say your soul in these philosophical constructs is created right about here. There's no astrology up here. This world of absolute, absolute's a strange word in Aramaic and Hebrew that actually refers to the divine emanation or creation of souls. And it's believed to be ruled by these classes of angels, the seraphims, the cherubims, and the thrones. Again, there's no astrology up here. There's no rotating heavens. They say there's 49 dimensions and 49 subdimensions here. The next world's down is called Briya, which is where the waters of creation start to coalesce into denser realms, you could say. And these are the angels that rule that, the dominance, virtues, and powers. Again, there's no rotating galaxies here. It's literally hundreds of dimensions. By the way, there's 49 dimensions and 49 subdimensions believed to be in here. The third world down called the Yetzirahic dimensions or the Yetzirahic world. For anybody listening, many people are familiar who've poked around in the Kabbalistic uh, halls, if you will, of the text called the Sefer Yetzirah. Sefer means book, Yetzirah means creation. So notice the word formation here. This is where the rotating galaxies are. And they claim, and this is a mind bender, that literally there are 49 parallel universes and 49 subdimensions in each one. I don't know about you, but that's pretty hard to wrap a human brain around. That is 49 parallel universes. Yeah, it's huge. Yeah, it's huge. Yeah. So notice we now start to see the familiar archangels, intelligences, and spirits. Just just to give you an, an FYI, they claim the Milky Way might be way down here, and God literally only knows how big these universes are. I mean, no one's figured it out. You know, we're talking about galaxies that are light years apart, and some that aren't even detectable, they're so far apart. And our little solar system on the speck edge of the Milky Way is right about here. Well, notice the last worlds, the worlds of Asaya. Asaya means action or the astral planes. One nickname given to this in many ancient texts is called the pouch of the slingshot, which is where disincarnate souls, we call them dead people, go and seem to reside at various different dimensions. They claim there's 49 dimensions and 49 subdimensions in this Asaic world, if you will. And of course, this is a Western depiction of the fallen 
angels. Now, usually we get a guy with a suit tie and a microphone telling us about the devil, but this here is a little more complex because you have Lucifer, Satan, Belial, and Leviathan, which isn't just, quote unquote, the devil. Many people will call Satan the devil. Other people call Lucifer the devil, but it gets a lot more complex. And what's fascinating is if you go into the Hindu or the other religions, that call them different things. We call them angels and demons. They call them deities or archetypes or whatever you want to refer to it in that particular language. So you change the names and the structure seems to be pretty close. And here we are on what I like to call the soul cauldron, the earth. So again, do you see how much deeper this whole outlook is from Oh, you're a Pisces and Pisces doesn't like Aries or whatever else we're told. You know, the philosophy behind Nadi astrology and Vedic astrology is you came here to purify and rectify the soul. And interestingly enough, the same thing exists in the West. Had Rome not adjudicated throwing out the doctrines of incarnation, which were in original Christianity, we would be hearing about that too. Now it's relegated primarily to Judaism, which is, again, the Shari HaGilgam and many other amazing texts. And there, where does astrology fit into all this? Well, <laughs> it's, the it's the celestial mechanics of what's happening to all of us in what we call time. Time is what we get when we're in these meat suits called bodies. And we're all going to leave these bodies at one point in time or another. Some of us will live old, some of us will not. And that is why I like looking at it from this perspective, because I think it gives us a much healthier spiritual perspective than just, you're all sinners and you're all going to hell, right? Which is kind of what we get from a lot of the religions. Not all of them. Some of them are okay, and some of them are very good. But it's it's interesting stuff when you look at it from that perspective. Very good. And where do you think purgatory falls into all this? Well, see that now you're you're talking in the realms of of the Sharia Gilgam and many other texts. I think it's very real, but it may not be exactly. From from what I can glean, and I don't think, and I'm being very humble here because I don't think anyone knows 100. percent But from what I glean from most of the texts is that it's a purification, a rectification of the soul. Many of the doctrines in Nadi, the the Vedantic, as well as the Hebrew, claim we may come here hundreds, maybe thousands of times in incarnations before that soul is purified and rectified. They, they claim that dependent upon the blemishes that are in the soul, which is a combination of things that have happened to your soul root in coming to these physical dimensions, combined with what you did on this planet, the actions you caused here. And this gets into a whole realm of karmic divisions. And when what, that's, what, again, why I like the Hebrew and the Vedantic stuff parallel together, because they tend to categorize things in a way that our small minds, or at least my small mind, can relate to it. Because you have to remember, our human conscious minds, we think with, with a combination of emotion and deductive reasoning. And 
we're, we're not linear. We're not like computers. We're never going to be. As educated as we get ourselves and as many numbers as we, or letters we put behind our names in the universities, we're still human. And we tend to process things with an emotional combination to logic and deductive reasoning. And they say that the purification of the soul is a combination of what the soul root has the actions in this lifetime and the shared karma you have with soul connectivity. Often we are incarnated through the parents that we have karmic lineage to, not genetic, but karmic. It may be genetic, obviously, as well. But um, and, and they say purgatory has many levels. And again, that's kind of a Western Christianity term, because immediately yes. you think of, you know, someone whipping someone in hell, you know. Yes, yes. I, I think it's from, and again, I'm not going to sit here and claim I have the answers, but there appears to be from many of the documents I've researched, it actually may be a good thing, where the incarnations on this planet are part of that. They say death itself is a part of purgatory. I think heaven and hell, some of it's right here, not all of it. Uh, the astral planes appear, there appears to be a barrier connected with Saturn in this solar system that releases the soul. I call it the escape from Alcatraz uh, line. It, 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 it really does appear, uh, the ancient astrologers had it right, that Saturn is the karmic representative of where you're at and the positions of Saturn in the chart, its dignities and aspects and aspectual positioning is directly related to the karma that we all are here to purify in this incarnation. And Jupiter seems to be the life breath force of the soul. Um, here, I'll show you this diagram again. This is a very, very I think wonderful diagram to uh, to depict what I'm talking about. And again, these structures or these diagrams at least allow us to talk more intelligently. If you notice, Jupiter is the life breath force of the soul. Isn't that interesting? Jupiter is by far the largest planet in the solar system. And it's almost like voltage in a wire in Vedic astrology. Saturn is the karma. Notice Saturn is above this big thick dashed line, which psychiatry or psychology might call our subconscious mind. So this these forces of, of karma or, you know, every time you say the word karma, people tend to go, Whoa, it's bad. It's gotta be bad because you got karma. But, but it's actually, I, I would say we have all kinds of karmas. And that's what's interesting about Vedic astrology. They divide it up into karmas that you're here to experience now, karmas that are waiting to be experienced based on the celestial astrology releasing it. It's usually Sati Sate and Saturn's position to the person's birth chart. And then you have uh, karmas that you're creating. So, and karmas you're sharing with oftentimes siblings, people we marry, people we have relationships with, we might have a boss. You know, this stuff is very hard to linearly decipher, but it shows up in many areas. And notice Mars is the ego, the drive, the will. Mar Mars also represents force and violence. 
also strength. So Mars can be good. Mercury is logic. It has all three of the glyphs, the crescent of the moon over the sun over the cross. So Venus is love and passions and uh, wealth, desires, artistic creativity. So we start seeing a symbolism in astrology that fits a psychological model that we all have in one shape, form, or another. And there's no two people exactly alike. Because when you look at the complexities of real astrology, you could never get the same birth chart twice. And even the skeptics would say, yes, but uh, what if two children are born at the exact same time? I'm like, okay, are they going to be in the exact location? Well, they could be, but the soul is going to be different. It's karmic influences, fixed stars, which are way out there in space, you could have seconds can alter the strength of a fixed star in minutes and seconds in a birth chart. If anyone's ever been around surveyors and looked at a transit, which is a telescope that looks at land, you know, when they survey your land, you can move something, a slight little position and notice a big difference will happen. So when you look at the geometry of celestially what's happening at an incarnation, meaning when a child is born, it doesn't take much to alter slightly the variations in it. And I've had that where I've done a lot of readings with twins who were born three, four minutes apart. And there is a lot of similarities to the cycles they experience, but their souls are completely different. And it's very interesting stuff when you get into fixed stars. It's very complex, and the geometry is very, very complex. The um, the, the 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 whole matrix is is very complex. So it's fascinating, fascinating stuff. Thank you for that answer. And the next question I definitely want to get into is why specifically do certain people have talents? Could that be due to the fact that they were born in a certain instance and this is just an observation I have, but you talk a lot about planets in a similar way that a witch I interviewed talked a lot about crystals, how different mm. things have different influences. But anyways, just, just focus on the question I just asked you. I was kind of dancing around there. Yeah. Um, I think it's a combination of human will and free will because we all have free will. It's, it's also, see, that's where the spirit and the soul enters in. You know, astrologers spend a little too much time on just trying to think astrology is directing everyone's life. It's influencing our lives to be sure, but it's kind of like the analogy of a driver of a car. You know, you could be the best driver in the world. If you're observing all the energies coming at you, you're probably not going to have an accident too easy. You still could have one, right? The wheel could fall off and you crash into a a telephone pole. Hopefully that never happens, right? But it can. So here's the point. The I look at the driver's free will, like where they want to go. I'm going to the grocery store. Okay, great. So that's your free will. But the vehicle and the road conditions are more like the astrology influencing you going to the grocery store, right? If uh, there's a shootout and the LAPD has the street closed off, well, guess what? You're not going that way, right? You got to go three blocks down and around and come back in and go to the grocery store that way. So you were influenced by a condition that's very analogous to astrology, whereas free will is much more analogous to the soul and the spirit. Because, and when you talk about talent, 
like one of the guys that I was looking at just recently, I, I love to look at a lot of celebrity actors, particularly some of the old Hollywood actors. And uh, one that came across my desk recently was Eddie Van Halen. Eddie Van Halen, as we know, just died. He was the famous guitar player, rock and rollist, who probably took the world by storm. And he was literally, in my opinion, a virtuoso. Whether you like rock and roll or not, you have to admit the guy was pretty good. I mean, he played on Michael Jackson's uh, Beat It. He played on so many amazing records. And, you know, uh, when you take people like Quincy Jones and 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 these virtuosos who, who are just stunning talents uh, in, in whatever field of endeavor they are, their astrology does show that they have a propensity in those directions. One of the really fascinating, there, there's been many scientific analysis done on athletes, on business people, um, et cetera, et cetera, who you can see their innate talents were shown in the astrology. But I would also couple that with, they might've gotten that astrology because of their soul's desire, their soul's free will. And that's something in this day of artificial intelligence and modern world that I think is really good to bring up. We are not our astrology. We're experiencing and influenced by it, but our free will and spirit is what drives. And I think people who aspire to can develop talents that are amazing, you know, even in the light of, of great adversities. Wow, that is very interesting. So you could kind of say astrology looks more at the free will in nature, but then it's also nature versus nurture. Yeah, it does really show um, the pathways that are likely more to be easier for an individual. You know, I'm always getting in readings. Um, again, I, I have to say Zoom has been such an amazing tool because people are able to make a video of the recording session of their reading. And they'll often say to me, how did you know my dad was that way? You know, or how did you know he loved me? Or the, uh, sometimes I'll, I'll say, oh, my God, your father was horrible to you. And they'll say, well, how did you know that? Well, in Nadi astrology, the father is the sun and the mother's the moon. You see, and when you when you look at these analogies, you go, well, wow. Now, that doesn't mean the person is going to be successful or not successful because of that. In fact, sometimes having a parent that's really hard on you drives you to be more successful. Um, other times it screws you up for the whole lifetime. And, um, you know, so this is indicated in the chart. And I find there's angelic influences on the angles, particularly the ascendant, the midheaven. Uh, they're literally angelic forces that that show, and they're they're shown by fixed stars and other angular uh, sidereal stars, which are amazing in the lunar mansions. And you you really scratch scratch your head and you go, "Wow, we really are in a matrix here." Um, I have to tell a quick story. Um, I'm going to go back to a share. Uh, because I, again, I, I love to cross correlate reality to the celestial matrix of astrology. And one of the things that, one of the things I love about this particular diagram uh, that we were looking at before is they say there's a guardian angel for each one of us souls in the Yetzeratic world. And they say that angel actually chooses the parents that are appropriate for the experience that we need to get in these incarnations called lifetimes. And they say they attach the embryo 
the spirit and the soul to the embryo at conception, not at birth, at conception. And they say the period of gestation, which for most children is about nine months. It's not always that, but it's pretty close to nine months for most women to you know, come to term on pregnancy. So they say when the child exits the womb, that's when the spirit, psyche, and soul are permanently tied to the body. It's attached at conception, and we're believed to be in converse with this angel. And then at birth, which starts at first breath, and if you look at the breath, sounds like we're getting an echo here, but at first breath, which is called the Rosh in the Aramaic and Hebrew, which is spirit. That's when the spirit, psyche, and soul is tied to the body for the duration of the life. So they say that celestial energy is picked by the angels as to when we incarnate. And, you know, that's, that's pretty, pretty magical stuff there. And, you know, if anybody wants magic, there it is. That's divine magic called creation and life. And um, far beyond, I think, human comprehension uh, will ever fully grasp when it's all done and said. Um, So it's very interesting stuff. And notice again, we're blocked. They actually say this mark that we all have beneath our nose is the mark the angel makes to make us forget. And that's depicted in this diagram by this division of this black line from our present personality and our, you could say, upper divine self. So Earth seems to be a really special place. I think that's why the first matrix resonated with so so many people is because it was this you know, extricating Keanu Reeves out of this reality called the world into this other world. And of course, it, I don't think it's directly analogous, but there, there was, I think that really struck a chord in people because it, it did have a lot of analogies to maybe the way it, it possibly is in a different sense. So interesting stuff, interesting stuff. And, you know, you can talk about this stuff to the end of time. Excellent. Can you kind of provide some information on what you provide sort of to your audience, your products, your services, maybe your books or. Oh, well, I don't have any books yet. I haven't really, I've been so busy. I can't write them. (laughs) I'd like to. And I'm very careful too, is I'm very humble. You know, the the stuff that I study, I have so many books. I mean, you're seeing a couple there, (laughs) believe me, on the other side of the room, there's a case of cases and cases of books. I don't even have enough bookcases to put them all in. But the, the thing that I would say and I, I can, sometimes I can't even believe I've read them all. I go, wow, I read this. Yeah, that was 30 years ago. Um, but the, the um, I'm very humble with books because, you know, anytime you write a book, you, you have to make a definitive stand that this is the way it is or you're portraying information. And um, I would say that my main thing now is not so much selling books, but again, helping people. I, I spend about 40 minutes before I go do a reading for someone, a full reading. And I do location astrology, I do Vedic astrology, and I do the tropical transits and progressions. And uh, I look at a lot of the cycles, and I literally have a whole page of notes, and I do the progressions uh, in Nadi astrology throughout your life. And I find those very insightful, because what pleases me is, is when I can help someone see that, hey, you know, you might be depressed now and life might not be going good, but you've got a cycle coming up that you want to be prepared for. And this is where free will 
And where I really do agree a lot with positive thinkers, like I have many people, they go to Tony Robbins, they go to many of the self-helpers and thinkers, which I think is great stuff, by the way. But on the other hand, a lot of them go and they get depressed because, you know, geez, I I took all these courses and nothing's happening to me. Why not? Well, it's kind of like waiting for, you know, an airplane. If the airplane isn't opening its doors and letting you in and ready to fly, you might get pretty bored sitting there. So what I like about looking at these phases and cycles that astrology offers, we can see, you know, it's like the surfer going to surf. If you paddle your surfboard out and there's not going to be any waves today, well, guess what? You probably might have been better off staying home. On the other hand, the other surfer might go, yeah, but I got to wax my surfboard and I got to be prepared. And I was out there and I was watching, you know, so there's a lot to preparation and talent and study and skills so that when it comes time, when your wave does come, and that's where astrology is really fascinating because we all are going to have the ebbs and the flows in life. We all get them. Uh, the average individual will have the progressed moon, which is one of the most predictive things in Vedic astrology or in, in tropical astrology too. The progressed moon, when it hits your 10th house, you're up the bat. That is like a seven-year peak, so it's between five and seven years. And I have seen that twice in my life. Both times I had amazing experiences and exposures to things that were fa- fantastic. And you also find where the ebbs are. And there's a great value to that because a lot of times when you're not in a peak of life, that is the time you want to be studying. That's the time you want to be preparing. That's the time you want to be researching, building new foundations or what have you. So there's great value to looking at these cycles. It's not predicting the future. It's predicting the energy points that are specific to each one of us. And there's a great value to that. You know, that's one of the first things they teach you in driver's ed, right? Be prepared. You know, know what a red light means. Know what a green light means. Know what the road signs mean, right? If you see frost on the road, slow down. So it's it's all about understanding and navigating your own personal roadmap. And I think it parallels beautifully many of the things that are taught in positive thinking courses, you know, there's nothing more powerful than the human psyche, than, than our, our will, our drive. That's, that's the magic right there. That transcends any astrology. That transcends any uh, life. It appears to carry with us lifetime after lifetime. So I, I like to look at astrology from that standpoint. What can I do with what I got? You know, what can I do with where I'm at? And then know where my high points and low points are going to be, you know, and and that's, you know, you, you take anyone who studied business, military strategies, all these things can really give us information to better navigate our lives. And, and I think that's the, the thing I like to do the most. And again, I, I can't say enough about today's Internet technology because people can record these videos right on their computers. And, um, you know, hopefully when I'm done, people have, have gained a lot of viewpoints on their own lives that can aid them, that can help them. It's, it's really a, a an interesting map. I, it's certainly been amazing on my life. I, I got to tell you that. It's been amazing. I, I'm stunned. My mother, God bless her, she passed away in 1988. I have to say there was low points in my life that I don't think I would have gotten through as easy as I did had I not known that Okay, this is a crap storm now, but that's leaving here. 
And, you know, I can navigate this maybe more intelligently than I would have had I not known it was there. You know, not that, not that it made it easier because you're still going to go through it. You know, we all get our rainy days. We all get our rainy days. Yeah. Oh, so. and some people like rain too. <laughs> you know, it's a lot of value to rain. It grows plants, does all kinds of things. And that's the way to look at it. You know, how do you think the average person can apply astrology to their lives? Like I just said, what we just talked about, looking at cycles. And, and I think that's what helps today with the Zoom meetings and the video conferencing that I'm able to do. Because I go right in and share a screen. You know, like the United States right now. Here, here's, here's a wonderful thing. Right now, everyone knows we're in a bit of a trying time, right? And here, if you let me allow, uh, show the screen. Here's a good an analogy to astrology. So, you know, we currently right now, this is the United States, what we call Sibley chart. It was named after Ebenezer Sibley. And right now, if I put up a bi-wheel, this is the inner wheel of the United States birth chart right here. You can see it was July 4th, 1776. Now, there's dispute. Some people say it was at 6.30 p.m. Other people say it was 5.10. We'll stick with this chart for right now. In any event, we have something exceedingly powerful about to happen to this country over the next couple of years. There's, for the first time ever... This is Pluto right here. And I know many people laugh and say, yes, but Pluto's not a planet anymore. Well, the astronomers can't decide what to do with Pluto. They don't know if it's a planetoid, a planet, or just a little body out there. The only thing I can tell you is in astrology, it certainly shows up to be very accurate. We have Pluto is the sun over the crescent of the moon over the cross. The United States has a Pluto return that can only happen between 240 and 248 years. It's not exact, but it's about that. And what does this mean in plain English? Well, this is going to transform this country. It either won't be here as we know it over the next couple of years, or it may miraculously transform into the republic it once was. And, you know, again, everyone's worried about Biden and Trump and everything else and all that. Um, and all the politicians, uh, I'm more with George Carlin. Forget the politicians. You have owners. They own this place. They print the money. And um, and they do. So we're seeing transformations with technologies. I think the future of this world is going to be drastically altered by what happens to the United States over the next couple of years. And the Vedic astrology shows the same thing. And you can actually see Pluto right here in the transiting chart is going to be joining. In fact, here's another way astrologers look at this. These are known as graphic ephemeruses. And you can actually see Pluto makes its conjunction right there. February of 2022 hmm. comes back again in July. And the final hurrah is the January of 2023. Now, this is a tropical zodiac. If we move that to sidereal, it's going to be happening in 2023 and 2024. There's great dissension uh, between astrologers. This is why I use both. Many people have heard of the procession of the equinoxes. 
Western astrologers use the tropical zodiac, which is based on the equinoxes and the solstical points, meaning the spring equinox, summer solstice, fall equinox, and winter solstice. So if you speak to a Western tropical astrologer, they're probably going to call you a particular sun sign that might be different in Vedic astrology. Why? Vedic astrology uses this outer zodiac also kind of called the sidereal zodiac, which is, it's well known that our solar system goes around the central sun somewhere between 25 and 26,000 years. And there's all kinds of, you know, staunch calculations that no one really knows. It's somewhere around 25,700 and something odd years. That's best guesstimates. And there's no little 7-Elevens or mile markers out in space that says you've entered Aquarius. And many people right now are espousing we're in the Aquarian age. You know, it's, it's, it's all love and light now. Well, I don't know about that one because I don't think we're in the Aquarian age and I don't want to get into that topic, but I think we just had a conjunction in tropical astrology in Aquarius of Saturn and Jupiter, but that's not the Aquarian age. For the last 50 years, I've been hearing everyone telling me we're in the Aquarian age and yet the wars and the carnage keeps happening. Um, so I would what love to say. I think we're in a yuga right now, a Kali yuga with a, a, a sub period of change. I, I think we hit the Aquarian age when the Hebrew calendar runs out. I think it's going to be very close to that. It's about 200 and something years from now. So when you hear, when you see the Hebrew calendar hit 6,000, I would guess we're going to be pretty close. Again, this is, I've, I've studied with so many different people and so many different calculations. No one knows. That's my opinion. No one knows. I don't know. I think we're going to see it about 200 years from now. See, our solar system might be doing close to a half a billion miles an hour around the central sun. This is vast distances to, to go. These are known as the ages. You see, the age of Aquarius would happen when our solar system enters sidereal Aquarius. We've been in the Piscean age since the beginning of the era of Christianity. Not exactly, though. Um, best guesstimates are somewhere between the second century and the fifth century, we entered Pisces. So not to dash the, um, you know, hopes of any Christianity followers, um, and, and I, I honor that religion and many others as well. I, I'm very open to many different philosophies and religions. Uh, I, I think there many of them have great truths. Um, the the I, it, it appears to have happened somewhere between the second and fifth century. Um, the Iron Age was the age of, of Aries and the age of the bull. You know, we hear about these as we go back into some of these ancient religions and references. So I, 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 I can tell you this much. Uh, for years, people were asking me on radio shows, Jeff, what do you think of the Mayan calendar? And I said, nothing. I said, I can't come up with anything with the Mayan calendar. The Mayan calendar had no correlations that I could tie together. That would end the world, you know, make the UFOs land on the White House lawn or in any of this other stuff that was being predicted. What, what I did warn about was 2020. I said, watch out for 2020. Why? We had a Saturn-Pluto conjunction in the sky. That's mundane astrology. See, mundane astrology is a whole other topic. 
There's many types of astrology. If you look here, there's the types are you have your birth chart, location astrology, interrogation and horary astrology is asking questions. Electional astrology is literally that. It's electing a time to get married. I do a lot of surgery elections. I do a lot of you know, in other words, people going in for cosmetic surgery or elective surgery, eyes, you know, cataract surgery, and they'll get from their doctor the time they can do it. And then I'll give them the best day to go because the body heals better on good energy. It's also called elections. Then there's mundane astrology. Mundane is the study of what's happening in the world. And I was warning about 2020 for the last 20 years. I, I said, watch out for 220. I said, this is when the fireworks start. And what did we have happen? The COVID-19 global change. The last time Saturn and Pluto mixed up was 9-11, which totally changed global travel, the Patriot Act, everything changed. You will never again run through an airport and jump on a plane like I used to do many years ago and many others used to do because we now have to be shaked upside down to make sure we're not carrying any guns or weapons, right? Run through metal detectors and it won't be long. The barcode and the chip will be in our foreheads. They'll just scan you. But the point is, is the mundane astrology literally is the look at what happens in the world. Well, if you look... Saturn and Pluto joined at the beginning of 2020. If we go back right there, uh, look at in um, the beginning, you could have set your watch to it when when the pandemic hit. Look at Saturn and Pluto were right together in January. I think it was right around January uh, 20 something, 23rd or something like that. I forget the exact day, but it was like clockwork. Yeah, it was right there. Look at that. Saturn and Pluto joined literally in 2020. And that was the beginning of probably one of the most, you know, I think uh, changing elements that the world has seen. It shut this whole planet down, not just the United States. And then we had the Saturn-Jupiter conjunction in tropical Aquarius on the winter solstice of 2020, which I think is going to usher in a whole new era over the next couple of decades. I, I think we're going to see energies released and technologies and expansion unlike we've ever seen. We've also seen a lot of fascist stuff. You know, one of the things we have to be careful is we don't say too much on this broadcast, because if we do, you'll be shut down. Uh, the censorship is has come in like fascism. It's not too much unlike Nazi Germany in 1941. And so, you know, these planetary energies really show in the mundane astrology, and mundane is kind of a strange word because it sounds like it's not important, but mundane just means world astrology might be a better way to say it. In fact, I have a lot of ancient documents. They call them exactly that, the astrology of the world. When Eras change, and we're in an era change right now. We really are. It's a huge era change. Excellent. Now, Mr. Harmon, this was an excellent interview. Thank you so much. Oh yeah, you're welcome. And appreciate all the stuff you provide. Well, the the only reason it was fairly good is because I have coffee. <laughs> you got me up at early in the morning, so as long as I have coffee, then I can talk. So, all right, my friend, <laughs> we had fun. Thank you for listening to the Jimbo Parish Show. 